You're listening to Tune FM, and today I'm joined with Dr. Annette Cowie from the University of New England to discuss climate warming. Now, on Monday and Tuesday this week, the global average temperature broke records, a record that has not been broken since 2016 during the last El Nino weather event. The global average temperature that we saw on Tuesday was just over 17 degrees Celsius jumping up a whole degree since 2016. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Annette. Um, It's been really great to have this opportunity to speak with you. So just as we get into it, can you just tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, thanks, Ash. It's really nice to be able to talk to you this morning. Um, So uh, I'm Annette Cowie. I um, actually have been in Armidale for a really long time. I came up here to start my rural science degree, in fact, in 1979. So um, I did rural science way back then. Uh, I did a few other things, came back and did a PhD in the 90s. And then um, I was working for the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. It was Department of Agriculture and actually State Forest back then. Um, And I came back to uh, UNE in 2009 um, in a joint centre between the New South Wales DPI and UNE. And I've stayed on in Armidale um, back back with the DPI since then. So I've mostly been working in agriculture, um, mostly in the climate change side, particularly related to um, how we count greenhouse gas emissions in our sector and how we create policy um, to give people encouragement to reduce their emissions and sequester carbon. Yeah. And of course, climate change is so significant for everyone, but especially in the agricultural sector as well. You know, it affects their crops, their way of life, their feed, all of it. So it's really, really important stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I think you were interested in talking to me today because of that recent news that we've hit a record high across the globe. Twice in um, a row, yeah. Yeah, exactly, which is terrible news but not actually surprising because um, although uh, scientists have been warning for ages about the impacts of climate change and we have had policies to try to do something about it, all we've managed to do so far is slow the rate of emissions. So, yes, unfortunately, the level of greenhouse gases, particularly CO2 in the atmosphere, has been continuing to go up. So it's not surprising that the world's getting warmer. Um, the six hottest years on record have occurred in the last 10 years. So um, it's, it's really bad statistics and not surprising. And as you say, it's really bad news for agriculture and particularly for Australia, because in Australia, we've always... Um, suffered from a very variable climate, um, periods of drought and floods and storms and what have you. Um, and the impacts of climate change are just going to make that those variations more severe. Um, so we'll have longer, more severe droughts. We'll have more severe, intense storms um, to deal with in, in our agricultural sector. So it's particularly important to us to, to make sure that the globe gets together to do something about it. Yeah. And so you, do you expect that we'll be seeing more of these global records being broken in the future? Unfortunately, yes. Um, So as I said, at the moment, our policies have only managed to slow the rate of emissions. Most of the governments of the world have have committed under the Paris Agreement to make cuts. And if they make those cuts, we will manage to turn it around and start heading back down again. But those cuts, when you add them all up, will not help us to get to the Paris Agreement. It's not enough. We won't, we won't be able to limit warming to under two degrees, which is the goal of the Paris Agreement, unfortunately. So we're going to have to do a lot more. Yeah. So what would, 
if we don't reach that Paris Agreement, what do things look like for us going forward? Well, I'm much the same as we've been seeing, but just keeping getting worse. And so this is going to be a big problem for, uh, for crops, for, for productivity, um, and that means for food production. So it's a big issue for food security. Um, it's also um, the increasing um, sea levels uh, are obviously a problem for all our coastal real estate, for example, but for all those um, people on the Pacific Islands, for example, who, who live very close to sea level and in Bangladesh, um, we saw the terrible floods that, that they suffered um, because they have low-lying countries with a lot of people near the sea. So um, it, it's going to be huge um, if we don't manage to keep warming below two degrees, um, unfortunately. Yeah. So from your professional experience, what are some of the main contributing factors to this? Are they industry specific? Is it just part of a cycle? I know some people say that it's a cycle of warming and cooling, but obviously there is a human input to this as well. Yeah, you, you do still hear a bit of that, but on the whole, um, people have accepted the, the word from the IPCC. There is absolutely no doubt um, the evidence is irrefutable. That was what the IPCC said um, in their most recent report. Um, there is no doubt that the climate is changing and there is no doubt that humans are responsible for it. Uh, and the main culprit is fossil fuels. Um, burning fossil fuels contributes most to greenhouse gases, but there are lots of other things that are a problem as well. And, and some of them are coming from agriculture, in particular land clearing for agriculture um, in Brazil, for example. Um, and you might hear about um, the, the non-CO2 greenhouse gases, in particular methane and nitrous oxide. And um, methane is associated with the livestock industries, but also rice production um, and from, from mining as well. So there are a lot of sources of methane, but the one you've probably heard most about um, is the livestock. Um, the good news there is that there are actually a lot of strategies to reduce livestock emissions. So we don't actually all have to stop eating meat um, to, to resolve that problem. I've seen some recent research about feeding um, livestock seaweed. seaweed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's two really promising strategies that are being trialled in Australia, developed in Australia, even the seaweed one. Um, it's a red seaweed and it's been found to be incredibly effective, reducing emissions by 80 or even 90%. Some of that research has been done here in Armidale. Uh, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, and there's another compound as well, um, a, a chemical compound made in a factory um, called 3NOP that is also nearly as effective. Um, so we have a couple of different strategies. A bit of a problem there, though, is at the moment um, it needs to be fed on a daily basis. So um, it's fine if you've got feedlot animals or a dairy where they come in and you give them a supplement um, whenever they get milked. But um, so far um, they haven't got a, a strategy for, for getting it out into the paddock for animals on pasture, but there's a lot of research going into that at the moment. Yeah. And what are some ways that policy and legislation can help with mitigating these contributing factors alike fossil fuel? Because obviously there is a lot of a lot of work that goes into that, you know, where people, if the sector closes down, we'll see people losing jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Like so, so um, as I said, the, the biggest contributor is fossil fuels. So that's the thing we have to do something about. But of course, fossil fuels are being burnt because we want the services from them. We want electricity, we want transport. So um, 
policies uh, are being introduced around the world to try and tackle that. In other countries, they have carbon taxes. We kind of tried that here in Australia, but that wasn't very palatable. So now we have um, the Emissions Reduction Fund and we have um, the Safeguard Mechanism, um, which has recently been strengthened under the current government, um, that particularly imposes um, thresholds on, well, they, yeah, imposes targets anyway, on the, yeah. the biggest emitters in the country. So there's about 200 odd co companies that are um, liable under their, the safeguard mechanism to reduce their emissions. Um, so that's what we do here. Um, there are, uh, under the Emissions Reduction Fund, um, that allows farmers to create carbon credits from doing things like planting trees or building soil carbon. And those credits are either sold to the government um, for meeting Australia's contribution, or they can also be sold um, to the safeguard mechanism, um, liable parties, or on the voluntary market to companies that just want to be able to say that they're doing the right thing, reducing their carbon footprint. Yeah. And are we seeing a, a cultural shift at the moment in terms of pushing more for, you know, renewable sources of energy and that focus? Is that something that is sort of mounting at the moment from your yeah, perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially in New South Wales, we have really strong policies for, for encouraging renewable energy. We have a renewable energy zone right here. Uh, and so that's um, having a big impact in terms of rolling out solar farms and, and wind farms. Um, uh, and I guess it's supported by the current government. So, uh, yes, a really big focus on renewable energy. Yeah. Um, but when we, um, to, in order to limit warming and to have any chance of getting under two degrees, um, we're not going to have to just reduce our emissions. That's not going to be good enough. We're actually going to have to take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And there are easy ways to do that that are obvious, like planting trees or building soil organic matter, because about half the, the um, mass of organic matter is, is carbon. Um, there are some other strategies as well. One of them that I'm particularly interested in is biochar. And um, biochar means making charcoal, essentially, um, in, a, in a very clean, uh, modern way, and then using that as a soil amendment. That might sound a bit weird, but um, actually scientists discovered that it was a practice that was um, very widespread in the Amazon and, and actually amongst Indigenous people in lots of parts of the world, including Australia, um, yeah. was putting charcoal into the ground. They knew that this would enhance the fertility of the soils. And so uh, this is quite new to soil science, but, um, but Australia has really been leading the field in, um, in researching biochar and demonstrating the, the fact that when you turn biomass into charcoal and put it in the ground, it's really stable in the soil. Yeah. Um, it lasts from you know, hundreds to thousands of years, and it also has benefits in terms of reducing nitrous oxide emissions from the soil. Now, nitrous oxide is a really powerful greenhouse gas, nearly 300 times worse than CO2. Um, and, it, and it can enhance soil fertility, hold on to nutrients, reduce leaching, um, increase water holding capacity. So that's pretty good news all around. But there are some other ways also that you can take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And one of them is a pretty high-tech way. They call it direct air carbon capture and storage. And um, that is um, putting like, fans basically out into the open and um, pulling the ambient air across a solvent, which then traps the CO2, um, which you liquefy and pump underground, geosequestration. Uh, so that's a really high-tech solution. It sounds very science fiction, yeah. And then there are really, oh, they're doing it in Iceland actually already where really? they've got geothermal, yeah. but it takes a lot of power. So if we were going to 
take significant amounts of, of CO2 out of the atmosphere doing it that way. We're going to need a whole lot of solar panels so that we yeah. can make renewable energy in order to do it. And I imagine it takes up a lot of space as well if you're having fans of that magnitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It certainly does take space, but probably more so if you're trying to do it with renewable energy like uh, like solar farms, that's where the space is really going to be taken up. Um, some of the others are, are really low tech. There's one that they call enhanced weathering, which just means taking basalt rocks like we've got plenty of around here and crushing it really fine. That, of course, does use energy. Um, but then when you spread that on the soil or even put it in the ocean, it naturally takes CO2 out of the atmosphere as the surfaces weather. So, um so yeah, that, and that if you put it on soil, um, on the right soils, it can help with fertility there, supplying nutrients and correcting soil acidity, increasing pH. Yeah. So, so these are strategies that the government um, at the national and state level are investigating at the moment. They're, they're putting effort into looking at the potential and looking at the costs of these carbon dioxide removal strategies. Yeah, so it sounds like there's definitely a lot of options available out there to us at at this higher level, but what about at the individual level? Like I imagine people here in Armadale who have fires, which most of us do, you can put the charcoal into the soil as well, but does that really Yeah, yeah, you do can certainly anything? do that. Yeah, well, well, you can do that. That's a good thing and it makes veggies grow better. Um, here um, in Armadale, I guess one of the obvious things is that we have a cold climate and people use quite a lot of energy uh, in their homes for heating. So um, think about what you can do to reduce the amount of heating you actually need in your home, you know, put another jumper on, um, have some nice woolly socks, side boots or whatever, make sure you've got the drafts coming in around your doors and, and um, you know, with a sausage and some, some foam and that sort of thing. Um, if you um, if you uh, own, own the home, put some solar panels on the roof, make sure you've got solar hot water. Um, if you don't, then you can um, you can buy green power, and that means you're paying for somebody else to put in um, renewable energy facilities. Um, heavy curtains really important. Make sure you capture the sun when it is out, and stop it, stop the heat leaking out the windows when it isn't. Um, so those are some of the, the obvious things. People are concerned in Armadale about burning wood. Um, obviously. It needs to be clean, wooden, burnt, burnt in a clean way so you're not making a lot of smoke and all that. Um, but wood itself is actually a renewable energy source as long as it's harvested sustainably and not from deforestation. Uh, so if trees are growing back where you're taking the, the wood from, then that is actually a renewable energy source. So we, we don't need to be concerned about the impacts um, on climate from, from using wood to heat our houses. Yeah. And there's also, I suppose, things like um, like lobbying officials. Is, is that useful? Like that uh, absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, the current government, um, both at state and federal level, are certainly switched on to, to doing something about climate change. We have a lot of good policies coming through, but the government is very responsive <laughs> to to the people who vote. And so uh, letting them know that you are on board with the policies that they're considering is really important. It, it will really give them the message that we care and we want them to keep going forward. And we actually you know, want them to do more because al although Australia does have a much more respectable target now um, for reducing our emissions, um, it's actually below what uh, a lot of other countries are, are trying to achieve. And it's below what the scientists say is necessary as our fair share. If you consider 
how much emissions we've put into the atmosphere if you consider what our capacity is to reduce emissions and to sequester carbon compared to a lot of other countries in the world where they don't have the land or they don't have um, they, they no, just don't have the financial capacity to invest. A lot of developing countries, there's no way they are going to be able to meet a net zero 2050 target, um, you know, which is what we're aiming to do. So we, re, we actually need to get to net zero well before 2050 um, so that to make up for the fact that other countries aren't going to be able to do it as readily as we can. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming in and and sharing all of this with us. It's been really, really interesting. And it's a very important topic as well. I know it's weighs heavy on a lot of people's minds, um, but to know that there are things that are being done, there are things that we can do to mitigate it, I think is important. Absolutely, been a pleasure to talk to you today, Ash. If you're interested in hearing more about other science and relevant news topics like this, you can follow us on Tune FM or Tune In Live on 106.9, Tune FM.